I love creativity because I, I kind of feel like we're most like God when we're creating. Yeah. You know, because I feel like that's, you know, the nature and character of God. And Genesis 1 and 1 opens with that verse. I mean, it opens with the word, in the beginning, God hmm. created. It's the first thing he tells us about himself. He's a creator. Welcome to Stories I Didn't Tell Last Sunday. I'm Doug McAllister for Journey Fellowship Church. Joining me today as my guest is the legendary game developer, better known as my fifth child, my son, Cam. Cam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad you're here today. So we're going to talk about a few things, Cam. We're going to talk a little bit about game development, which you are <clears throat> your study and program. You're a junior at, in the university studying programming. Is that the right that's, yeah, name that's, for that? Yeah, everything's right. So you learn how to code, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you recently developed a game. I want to talk to you about the game you developed, and you released it. Uh, but there's a couple other things I want you to want, want to talk about. You know, our trip to Washington, D.C. a few years ago when you were a senior in high school, uh, which was a pretty pivotal year for our country and for um, for the overturn overturning of Roe v. Wade. So we were kind of there right before that happened. Uh, and then I want you to tell a story. Cam told me a story the other day that really just, uh, man, just left me in tears. Uh, I was going to tell it myself, but I don't think I could get through it because it's such a heartbreaking story. And uh, it revolves around Cave City in Kentucky. Is that the name? That's of the right. Yeah. yeah, Cave City in Kentucky. So we'll get to that today too. Uh, but let's start out with uh, with programming. Cam, you're in the you're in Generation Z, right? Mm-hmm. So your uh, your um, generation uh, is getting to the age they're all going to college, high school, college, and getting ready to move into the workforce. So you guys are a whole different generation than the one that uh, preceded you and the one that preceded them. You know, I notice there's a lot of characteristics about your generation that really surprised me, you know. And you want to talk about that for a minute, about about the characteristics of, of Gen Z? Yeah, the characteristics like uh, socially, yeah, socially and spiritually and politically and morally. There just seems it, it just always surprises me how one generation is almost opposite than the one that it came from. <laughs> That's definitely you true. Know? I think the advent of the internet, which affected you know, like millennials in the eighties, and yeah, and um, has a bit has a, had a big effect on every generation, yeah. but because. Gen Z has grown up in it. Like I don't, I have early memories where I didn't have a phone, Yeah. but most of my earliest memories are yeah. playing with like at least a Blackberry or a cell phone. So you've never known a life without the internet. Pretty much. Yeah. See, that is so crazy. Uh, you know, not crazy. I mean, in a sense, it's just, you know, such a different dynamic to grow up in because I grew up in a generation where the Internet didn't exist. You know, the biggest technology in my life, I bought a I bought a 74 Plymouth Duster when I first got a job in 1980. And the most luxurious piece of technology was it had an aftermarket eight track tape player. <laughs> Wow. Wish I had an eight track. Uh, see, you love old technology, don't <laughs> do. you? Even though you're programming and and you're coding, you still love old technology, yeah. right? I, I don't think I'm unique in I but I still do uh use CDs in my car. Is that a generational thing or is that just a personal thing for you? I, I think the the market is so wide because because of our access to the internet, we have more information. So people learn about very niche things that they're interested in. Yeah. And so I found out that I just like physical ways to play music, yeah. even though the new thing is to use digital just because yeah. I find it more convenient. You love the analog version of music yeah. better than digital? Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, because when uh, I bought that car, I paid uh, $1,400 for it in 1980 or 81. 
which I wish I still had it now. It'd be a classic collector's item. I saw one the other day. Somebody had totally restored one. I thought, I had that car in 1980. Had I just kept it, it would have been a classic because it was perfect. It had a white interior with leather seats. It was two-door. Uh, it was green. Uh, and the guy who sold it to me said, hey, I'll, I'll put a CD player in this. I'm not a CD player. That's before CDs existed. An A-track. A-track yeah. And uh, so it's aftermarket. It, it didn't come with the car. Uh, but, you know, I, I had a four or five eight-track tapes, you know. What the odd thing about eight-track tapes was there really wasn't eight-track. There's only four tracks on the on the little tape. I don't know why they called it an eight-track. but uh, And then the songs would cut off at the end, like halfway through the song, and continue on the next track. It was like very just clumsy and brutal technology, you know. But to me, more that was the height of I have my favorite band playing on the uh, eight-track in my car, you know. Because I had a radio, but still, you wanted to choose your own yeah. music, you know. And now, you know, we have we have we have uh, digital. Of course, there was a generation right after that. You know, there was uh, there was eight tracks, and there was cassettes, you know, which was a smaller tape, and then there was uh, CDs. So you kind of do you remember the CDs when you were growing up? We had mm-hmm. I think I had a CD player in yeah. our, our family car, our family vehicle. You know, and remember when they made multiple CD changers? Yeah, they did, yeah. Wasn't that cool? Yes, like an eight-track CD. Yeah, you could put in five CDs. <laughs> My truck, I'm driving a 2014 F-150, and it has a five-CD changer in it, right? I never use it, Yeah. you know, because I use, uh, I listen to Spotify. Uh, but I, I, uh, you bought me a Christmas present two years ago, a, a phone cradle, and you could actually insert it in your CD slot, which is... Pretty interesting how they turned that into another use, you know. So of course, you insert yeah. the, the the bottom of the CD cradle, I mean the phone cradle, into the CD slot, and it holds it. And then you put your phone on it, you know. And then I use that to play play music, you know. So they found a, a use for that CD slot after all. And it's pretty ironic that they used the old CD slot just to upgrade to the new technology. I know, right? <laughs> now it's all digital. It's like right. it's like at one time there was a cigarette lighter in your car. This is long before you were born, Mm -hmm. but there was a little port with a little button you would push in, and the battery would actually fire up the little cigarette lighter. You pull it out, and you can light your cigarette with it. You know, which was an odd technology to put in a car, a way to light your cigarette. But they didn't get rid of that. They just threw away the lighter and turned it into a port for power. You can plug in your devices now. You know, so that was pretty uh, ingenious, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny how every generation learns from the last. You know, and builds on what what they learned. You know, so when do you think you decided you wanted to program or, or learn to write code? Uh, when I had to pick a major. And oh, that's really? When I figured it out. Yeah. You wait until the, like the last second. Yeah. Yeah. You I, know what? Yeah, yeah. I think I've always had some level of a calling, or at least like feeling inclined to make games because I feel yeah. very creative. Yeah. And I also spent a lot of time as a kid playing games and being yeah. creative, so it just felt very natural to try to learn programming yeah. and it was kind of like the best thing to get a degree in that I found interesting. Like, cause I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not super interested in very many topics. I have very uh, niche interests. Yeah. So I started out doing music and I thought I was going to play like in a live band yeah. or in a concert. And then I realized I don't need to get a degree to kind of do that. And yeah. I could just make music on my own, yeah. but I could use a degree to do programming because yeah. And I'm glad I did because I really learned like a lot about the fundamentals yeah. that I don't think I would have been like, um, what's the word, like self 
yeah. inspired to go learn that on my right. own. It was really nice to be in a setting with other people where you all yeah. learn to program. Right. You know, you grew up with, uh, you know, four brothers and sisters and a mom, not a dad, mom who loved video games. I never got into video games, you know, but your mother loved video games and she played video games with all of y'all, especially the boys. You know, she would start you out, you'd be sitting in her lap, you know, and she's playing video games. And we went through the whole transition when Ryan was born, who's the oldest, you know, we were playing, I don't know. I don't even know what game device it was. It was so. Might have know, been a Nintendo sixty four. It was no. It was before that. Oh really? It was like oh yeah, a Nintendo. It was like yeah, the, the probably the original Nintendo, mm-hmm. the one where you put the uh, you had to blow off the end of the uh, cartridge to put it into the cart. I mean into the game. Uh, device they say not to do that but it's funny that it was it we worked, did it, it worked. every time <laughs> we don't know why it worked but it became part of the culture you <laughs> you blow the cartridges and then put it into the games play so so we progressed every time a new edition would come out went from nintendo you know uh then there was 64 then there was you know playstation and you know so you and Cade and ryan your brothers mom played video games with all of y'all and y'all still play sometimes online together don't yeah. y'all yeah yeah what games are y'all playing online like with the family nowadays yeah. uh this is a game we all play it's like jackbox where oh, yeah. we play on our phones where we all play yeah. like a board game together or uh many other creative games like you'd build a world through like minecraft oh yeah uh which one is this, does mom play that she likes? So is it Minecraft? Or she I plays? think she she likes Animal Crossing. Crossing, that's yeah. It. She likes yeah. to design a world with her animals. She's, and she, she's built a whole world, and she even built me a house on her island. <laughs> she did. Yeah, I was like, thanks, mom. I'll she be- made Hatchet character too. I, oh, did she really? Yeah, she I'm did. never going to visit it, but I got a house. I got a I got a spare house and uh, Animal Crossing. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think your mother had a lot of influence on you about, about you and your brothers, and, it's, yeah. and to some degree your sisters about playing games. So you wrote you enrolled in college. You graduated from high school. Got enrolled, started out with music, you know, but switched quickly to uh, to programming. Is that true? That's true. So yeah. you wrote a game, Cam. When you were was you were you a freshman or a sophomore? Uh, this was September. I remember the day, it was September twenty sixth, that I released it, twenty twenty one. Oh, so, so I should have been a freshman. Yeah, or, or a, almost a sophomore. a sophomore. Yeah. So this was like a little, little bit over a year ago. Yeah. It was. So what inspired you to create that game? And by the way, what's the game called? It's called Doghouse. Doghouse. And what did you uh, what did you launch it? At? What did you? I launched it on a game page called itch.io which okay. is a website where it's it's like anybody can upload a game I see. and there's no publishing costs or anything so you can just do it entirely for free yeah so it's on itch.io That's so if somebody wants to play it this it's just still up mm-hmm. it's still up there. yeah and it's called doghouse mm-hmm. doghouse so w- what genre is it what what is the uh general theme i aimed for horror yeah and it's it's uh, it's very light on gameplay. You just yeah. kind of go around and click on some things. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, it's, it's it has a creepy atmosphere to it. Yeah, it's very simple. Right. Um, where um, when you launched it, how many users did you think you would reach? How many people you think would download it? Did you have any idea? Like two people. You and your friends. Yeah. Would try it out. People. Uh, one yeah. friend that I told it about. I didn't tell anybody else, but one friend. Yeah. And I thought like two random people would find it. Yeah. And what happened over the last year? How many people have downloaded that game? Over this last year? Yeah. Well, when I when I initially launched it back in 2021, I, I had one comment that showed up in my notifications. Yeah, nice. And it was somebody playing it for a YouTube video. Yeah. And this was like not a, a large creator. It was someone with a couple of subscribers. But yeah. it was cool that somebody had played it on video. There was proof yeah. of something that I made. Yeah. And then that was one comment. I thought that was 
a crazy coincidence that happened. You're happy to get that. And I was happy to get that. Yeah. And then I got another comment and then I got like 20 more comments. And then by the end of 2021, just a couple months later, it would have like a hundred comments at least. So many people playing and talking about it. Yeah. And so recently I checked the statistics and I've made Doghouse and then I've made a sequel called Doghouse 2. Yeah. And both of those games combined have 91,000 downloads. Wow. It just snowballed. So that's like worldwide? Yeah. And and there's a tally. They keep a count of every time they download your game. So 90,000 people. Which of the big game players, uh, which of the guys who played your game that kind of gave you a really good push? Well, after the initial, like, explosion of popularity like people started yeah. checking it out i uh, a youtuber named markiplier he oh, has right. markiplier. 31 million subscribers or something on youtube yeah. and he played it yeah. and he does a series where he plays three horror games and mine happened to be the first one in that video oh boy so that got it a lot of traction right I, off the bat but so yeah. it didn't like do at the biggest numbers that I was thinking, like I looked at the analytics yeah. and it didn't do as much as like the initial explosion had happened, yeah. but it obviously still had an effect where it was like culturally people recognized, like it legitimized my game. Yeah. It wasn't just a random game I found and it was popular. Yeah. It was, oh, this is the one that Markiplier played. Yeah. It kind of so gives you some street cred. It did. Yeah. 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 So Markiplier played Doghouse. Did he ever play Doghouse 2? Uh, he actually only played Doghouse too. Oh, that's the one he did play. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. What's the story about Markiplier commenting about another game that was similar to yours? <laughs> what, how that, what happened exactly? Well, what's very flattering to me is that somebody made a game called uh, Feed Your Cat, yeah. which is like the cat version of Doghouse. <laughs> and I know that they it were inspired by Doghouse because they listed it as an inspiration. Oh, wow. And so I checked the analytics and I saw a bunch of clicks were coming from somebody else's game. Yeah. And I, th- I was wondering what that is. Usually they try to recommend games that are similar to other games so yeah. i thought it was just another case of that yeah so i click on the link and i found out this person linked me in the description of their game oh wow i was like that is a huge honor man that i inspired you inspired you. him to make uh, feed your cat yeah <laughs> and so well he is the cat version of the same game you could tell it's very similar yeah but it's a very simple game with its own identity yeah did markiplier play feed your cat and he did play feed oh your did cat. he yeah yeah and yeah. he said while playing it he like this has been I released the game like he played it like eight months ago, so it's been yeah. a long time. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he played Feed Your Cat like a month or two ago yeah. from from today. Um and he while he was playing it, he said something like, What didn't I play a game called like Feed Your Dog or something? <laughs> it's just so funny to it's so funny to like it he didn't really remember my game. He got like a, a vague idea of it, but my yeah. game kind of lived on through the cat game. Yeah. And I th- I find more honor than that than just somebody just famous playing my game, honestly. Yeah, yeah that's a cool story. So it he is. remembers your game, got the name wrong, <laughs> but it was still stuck somewhere in his, in <laughs> exactly. his memory. Yeah. yeah. Playing play feed your cat. Are you developing any other games? Are you yeah, any, any ideas? Not that you got to share them, but you got some things in the works. Yeah, I have. I've. I have the third game, Doghouse Three, in the works. Oh, yeah. uh, I've. I've been talking about it lately with people, and people are very excited about it. So yeah. I haven't. I don't have anything to share at the moment, but I'm hoping that I will soon. Yeah. What is your site if people want to go look at your work? What, what What's your web address, or they, do you want to share it even? Yeah, I should share my web address. Uh, my website is not complete, yeah. which I think is like the thing for artists is that you always your for, your homepage always is under construction. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like th- a requirement. That's yeah. where we're at yeah. right now. Yeah. So if you want to go to tumbleweed.com, I'll, I'll have to update it now. But yeah. spell it. Uh, tumbleweed is like tumbleweed without the last e. Okay, just the word wed. So tumble w e d dot com. Yeah, and that's my website and tumbleweed.com. Mm-hmm. Got it. 
but it doesn't link anywhere. So if you want to find me on YouTube, it's the same name, Tumbleweed. Yeah. And for my game page, it's tumbleweed.itch.io. Yeah. Got it. And that's where they find Doghouse? Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Uh, so you were talking to one of your students, or one of your fellow students at Southeastern, and he had been playing Doghouse. <laughs> But he didn't know that you were the creator. of That's kind of a cool story. That's right. That, and I like it that you don't go around bragging about what you did or what you're – he just didn't know who you were. He was talking about dog guys. Yeah, that's my game. <laughs> that was kind of cool, right? Yeah. yeah. I was in class in front of him. It was a programming class. Uh, and I, would, I just happened to be sitting in front of him, and I think he saw over my shoulder that I was on itch – on the itch uh, game page and he yeah. plays games on there. So he's like, Oh, what's your account name? Yeah. I said, Oh, it's Tumblewood. So he didn't make the connection at first, but once yeah. he opened my page on his computer, he said, You're Tumblewood? <laughs> oh, that's really cool. <laughs> and it was very funny. I was he's, like, Oh, you know. He's a doghouse fan. Yeah, huh? right. Yeah. yeah. He had he had yeah. seen he had seen it's funny because I've been going to class with him. I have a very uh particular memory where I was modeling something I was modeling a screwdriver yeah. to put in the first game yeah. and I looked up and I was like I wonder if uh, Brady's here today it's his name Brady yeah. I, looked up, I was like oh there's Brady yeah. and I went back to modeling and yeah. it's just funny that he was there oh gosh while I was making the what game what a coincidence yeah. huh? and um, then he and then he didn't even know that I had made it until wow. after and- and and his head inspired the screwdriver. <laughs> I don't know if inspired, but he was certainly Are there. You just there in, in, in your view. Yeah. How many people have you talked to, like around the world, about Doghouse, or how many people have you saw commenting it, commenting oh about it? Like it's got to be tens of thousands, hundreds yeah. of thousands of people. Yeah. Anyone, just because it reached so wide. Anyone stand out to you? Like anybody in China or Asia or yeah, Africa or Europe? Anything that like wow, that's pretty interesting. I know. I I. I've kind of dug for some because they're not all on YouTube or like yeah. immediately accessible. Right. I had to look on like a Korean streaming website. Yeah. So like a famous Korean streamer has played yeah. it. Yeah. I looked on Twitch and a lot of uh, small time creators were playing it. Yeah. And of course, Markiplier played it. I had a lot of traffic that was coming from uh, Chinese and Russian YouTube videos. Wow. I had Spanish videos. I had uh, videos from Thailand. Yeah. Which is funny because I was watching somebody play it. Uh, I watched a Thai creator play it, yeah. and he's obviously speaking what, what, Thai. What, Thai, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's funny in Thai. You, you, in order to laugh, like online, it's accepted yeah. to type the number five a bunch of times. Right. And I was confused when I had seen that. What I found out is they they were laughing. Right. Five like, is laugh. Laughing yeah. at the funny parts of the game. Yeah. And it was and it was very interesting to learn so many little things like that about yeah. other people's cultures. Yeah. Just by being exposed to what I had created. That's pretty fantastic. How small the world is now. Yeah. You know, because when I was a little boy, I dreamed of going to China. I dreamed of going to Europe. I dreamed of going to Africa. Like, I'd go to the library and just read books. I'd read the encyclopedia about a country I wanted to visit. And now here you are. You're, you're in school, and you're talking to people in real time all mm-hmm. over the globe. Yeah. Which is just, you know, one of the big changes from one generation. Well, we're, th- we're like three generations apart, but from my generation to yours, yeah. it's just incredible. Oh, another amazing thing was like watching people who were obviously like their native language was Chinese or Russian, yeah. what have you. And they would read the subtitles. I added subtitles for Doghouse too, so you could read dialogue for the character. Yeah. And these people speaking Chinese and Japanese and all these languages were translating them into their native language so that their viewers could hear it. And it was amazing to me that so many people learned English wow. and they were, yeah, I didn't have to make my game like accessible yeah. to other people. They had learned English. Yeah. 
and they were able to translate everything it just they blew me away yeah i i just couldn't imagine like it made it really did make it feel like a small world man and the world is so small yeah you know most of the people in china speak english or at least all the ones that go to uh, college i don't know yeah. what percentage but it's a very high percentage mm-hmm. that english is almost as common as mandarin yeah you know pretty wild it is interesting and what a great story man i can't wait to see what doghouse 3 looks like or what you're gonna do do you see yourself becoming a professional game yes. developer that was always that's, my that was always my dream that's your goal yeah. yeah and i wasn't sure if i would be able to attain that you know yeah. as you mentioned like we were playing yeah. games growing up so i had exposure to that and i yeah. i really loved games but it always seemed unattainable because it seemed like a lot of work yeah and it is a lot of work yeah. but um when i had first made doghouse all i had done was like i feel like i had not been attentive to this calling or yeah. whatever you want to call it. I just yeah. like felt like I had to make a game. Yeah. And so what I had done was just join a game jam, which is when you make a game in a limited uh, period of time. Got it. It can be a competition. You vote for games that, that are good yeah. or bad or what, right. what have you. But right. I had joined one that was specifically seven days, which is pretty pretty short. Man. Usually it's like a month long. That's pretty intense to make a game. <laughs> it huh? is. A lot, a lot of coding. <laughs> so yeah. that's probably the reason that Doghouse was so short. Yeah. Because I had some ideas that I want to do for it, but yeah. I, this was the first game I was ever publishing, not yeah. the first I've ever made. Right. And I had a week to make it, so I didn't like get bogged down with the details. You just made it. You just pushed through. Exactly. I just yeah. pushed through. Yeah. And I even ran out of internet one day, oh. and that almost made me quit. And I'm obviously glad I didn't. <laughs> you ran out of internet. <laughs> How, what, what you mean ran out of internet? Uh, in the, it ran out of internet, as in like I think a lightning cable struck something oh, in you Hammond. Had, had technical problems. Yeah, I see. The yeah. Internet wasn't great in Hammond, so yeah. when I was when I was for college, so. Yeah. Uh, anyways, the internet went out one day, and I was like, I should just give up altogether. Yeah. But I, but I thought, you know what? It's a week long. I'm yeah. halfway through. I'll just finish it. Yeah. And. I had just gone ahead and finished it. I'm glad I did. You yeah. Know, made a big difference. Yeah. Pretty interesting. So you want to make it a career. I do want to make it a career. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, when you create a game, do you uh, do all the music and the art and everything yourself? It seems like a pretty detailed task. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to, you got to, you got to score your own music and design your own characters and not to mention all the coding that goes in, huh? Yeah. That's, uh, pretty intense like you need a whole staff to do that <laughs> yeah that, that's typical why you make a uh, a game studio yeah but there is such a thing called being like on your own as a game developer and they call it a solo dev yeah so i would be defined as like a solo dev who's uh-huh. doing all the art and the music wow. and i have some help so I'll, I'll use um photo textures i find for free online yeah and then i'll map that to a model that makes it a lot easier i see but some people do everything wow. and i'm still learning how to just do right. it's a lot to learn at once right. do you ever write music that you use exclusively for a game like mm-hmm. create yeah yeah so that's another whole set of creativity i, I love creativity because i i kind of feel like we're most like god when we're creating yeah you know because i feel like that's you know the nature and character of god and genesis one and one opens with that verse and it opens with the word in the beginning god hmm. created it's the first thing he tells us about himself. He's a creator, you know. So I think whether it's music or games or sermons or art or, you know, medicine or whatever, I think we're best at we're more like God when we're creating as humans than than any other time. Don't you feel that way? Do you feel inspired yeah. to create sometimes? You like I got I gotta get to the a drawing board and create some stuff? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
Yeah, you ever get stuck where you don't, don't know what to do next? Uh, yeah, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that frustrating? I, I know if I'm writing a sermon or writing whatever, I'll just get stuck. I'm like, man, you know, sometimes you got to, what do you do when you're stuck? What do I do when I'm stuck? I just keep creating. Oh, you keep rolling? I think, because I, yeah. I think uh, I think it's a mental block. I mean, yeah. I think it's very real. Yeah. But I think if you, if you don't get bogged down and like trying to get everything right. Like the whole reason I made that first game was because I just made it. I didn't, I had like a strong vision for it, but it was very simple and straightforward. And so I just kept the scope small and I kept working on it until I had something to work with. Cause I think when something is just an idea in your head, it can be, distracting trying to think about like you don't want to waste your time developing it down a path that doesn't work right but you have to try a bunch of different ideas to see what does work so that's been something i've been i've been thinking about as i feel like i feel stuck with art is like why don't i just waste time learning this path and just having fun creating it and see where that takes me instead of trying to get it right the first try yeah yeah, man, I'm I'm very excited to see what's going to happen. You only have a year, a year and a half left at school, and you'll mm-hmm. graduate and start a career. I think your goal is probably to start a business. Probably sounds like definitely, yeah, yeah. business, and, yeah, and create games. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. You know, uh, backing it up a little bit, uh, when you were a senior, um, you were the fifth of our in high five school? kids. Yeah, senior in high school. Uh, every time, uh, uh, every one of our children. My mom, your mom, and I would always want to take our kids somewhere to let them have a cross cultural experience. So, you know, like we took Ryan to Mexico, we took Christian to um, uh, to the Dominican Republic, we took Gabby to Uganda, Cade to Argentina. And I asked you where you wanted to go, like for your cross cultural experience, and tell us what international city you picked. Washington, D.C. <laughs> Cam, you don't want to leave the country. Now I want to go to Washington, D.C. Which, hey, that's where we wound up. Yeah. And it turned out to be a very pivotal uh, week. I, I think it was the Lord. I think it was just the, so. the right time to be there. Uh, we had an opportunity to see the president. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we were there during the... Uh, uh, the March for Life. And they didn't announce that he would uh, speak until no, we were there. We didn't know he was even going to be there, you yeah. know. But I was blown away. Uh, so we were on the National Mall, you mm-hmm. know, right in front of uh, Congress. And it stretches from Congress. The National Mall goes all the way down to the it's a Lincoln Memorial. Is that the other end? I, I want to say, yeah. yeah. I think it's Lincoln Memorial. So there's, what, it may, it may be two miles long in between. And... Uh, the National Mall was full. It was hundreds of thousands of people. It was just as far as you can see, there were people who were praying and worshiping. Mm-hmm. It was just, I mean, it was astounding to see that many people gathered together. It reminded me of, of the book of Revelations, chapter 7. You know, and John said, I saw a great crowd no one can number, every tribe, every nation, every language, every people. And they were all singing worship together. So I was standing there, and I looked around me, and we were surrounded by hundreds and thousands of, of, of students your age. Mm-hmm. They were all in their late teens, early 20s. You know, and it just gave me so much hope for America. Yeah. You know, it gave me so much hope for, you know, there were men and women, there were black people, white people, there were Asians, there were uh, Hispanics, and yeah. everybody was holding hands and raising their hands and, and kneeling and worshiping and praying, and they were all there to pray for uh, for the unborn, you know, and that gave me hope for Generation Z. <laughs> like, I think, man, I had no idea that you guys were that passionate about life and about about the sanctity of of human life and and then also so passionate about Jesus. I mean, they were all wearing their their 
just t-shirts from their church you know it was baptist churches and catholic churches and presbyterians and yeah. assemblies of god and pentecostals and end up it was just college students and chi alpha students and and crew students it was just it was just amazing to look at and there were people from all over the country there and they after the president spoke then we got to worship and pray together for the end of abortion for the overturning of roe v wade and honestly cam uh, Roe v. Wade became uh, a, a decision in 73 when the Supreme Court decided that unborn children didn't have a right to live. I remember how deeply the church mourned and how, how broken we were over that. You know, we couldn't believe uh, that happened, but it seemed like we would never be able to overturn that. Yeah. So my entire adult life for 50 years, abortion uh, has been... Uh, legal because of that Supreme Court decision. And I honestly had given up hope that we would ever win that moral battle. I thought it was lost forever. Yeah. But your generation changed that. I'm, I'm, I'm just so hopeful for that, you know, it's yeah. to, to, to see that decision. You know, is that a common theme in students your age? Are the, most of them pro-life, or do you know a lot of pro-lifers? Um, especially in Louisiana. it's. Yeah. I mean, uh, all across the political aisle, too, it's very it's very common just to see people who are pro-life here just because yeah. it's a Louisiana. Yeah. I don't know what it what it might be. Maybe it's religious yeah. or you, otherwise. You, you can never tell that by watching the media. No. The media pretends like you guys are 99% pro-abortion. <laughs> no, it's definitely you know? not and it. And the truth is you're not. You're yeah. like you're like 75 or 80% pro-life, Yeah. you know, which is— Pretty, uh, pretty amazing. And that know? follows because it kind of swings with every generation, like every, every opinion on anything. Yeah. It always goes back and forth. Yeah. Uh, so it would follow that our generation would be very okay. pro-life as opposed yeah. to previous right. generations that have not, you know, yeah. it's part of the ebb and flow. So we heard that the president was going to speak that day. So mm-hmm. this is what, 2000, what year did you graduate? Uh, from high school? Yeah. We went in January of 2020. Is that when we went? I believe. Right. Was that during COVID? That was before because we had seen there were some people wearing masks at that point. Yeah, but it was not like widespread. So it was the year that COVID. No, it was that year. It was it was that year. Okay, but anyway, so yeah. we were there in D.C. and they announced the president's going to be the keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. So no one knew that up until that morning. So we all wanted to get there early. <laughs> And uh, so we walked through the city, you know, remember walking through mm-hmm. through D.C.? And we got there and we saw the line. Oh, it's not that bad of a line until we realized, oh, this is the back of the line. And it stretched <laughs> for like a mile. Yeah. And we all had to walk through Secret Service. Then there's metal detectors. It took us probably about two hours yeah. or more. And they had multiple stations of of, of people getting, you know, uh, searched. And and we were walk- still like like a mile away from where he was, what it felt like. Right. like, we're never going to get there. We're not going to make it. <laughs> yeah. But Secret Service did a great job. They got everybody through. And, and we actually got in real close to where uh, where the stage crowd was, you know. And so behind us, there was a sea of people. Mm-hmm. So we got there early, though. We got there daylight man so you know early bird gets the worm right that's true so we got there got there real real early so uh that was quite the experience to go through the secret service check line and walk through the metal detectors and, yeah. and everything yeah it was kind of fun and i'd watch people breaking in line i think all these christians are breaking in line <laughs> we had a school of children come I know, cut right in front right of us in front of us and like, she was t- saving, pretty bold <laughs> our teacher's saving a place for us i'm like yeah, you guys have been in bed for the last two hours <laughs> I've been standing here. They yeah. were born like an hour ago. Yeah, you, just got, yeah, you were just delivered a few minutes ago. Yeah, and they all walked like a like hundred of them got in front of us. Was like, okay, whatever, let, let them. Go. Yeah, we're all here for the same reason. Yeah, it's true. Fighting, y'all, yeah. y'all can have. I can have the best spot. Yeah, yeah, but uh, 
that, that, that was quite quite an experience. And we had a restaurant that we ate there almost every day. Do you that, you're thinking of the Capitol Burger. Is it, it yeah, right? Capitol Grill. Capitol Grill. That's it. Yeah. Man, that, that was some really good food. I would recommend that if you yeah. go to Washington, Here in D.C., <laughs> you ought to try the Capitol Grill. We found it accidentally. I don't know how we found it even. I think it was like at a really weird corner. Like we always got lost. Yeah. And you would always – you were like – you know, you trust me to lead. You're like, all right, yeah. Cam, you can go ahead and lead. And yeah. we would just turn one wrong street, yeah. completely different part of D.C. Yeah, and we saw, wow, look at that. <laughs> we got. Uh, I was hungry. Yeah. And you said, let's go to the Capitol Grill. And we kept going every day. We'd, it kind of became like our spot to go, <laughs> to go hang out at. You know, so yeah, we'd go to the Capitol Grill yeah. and, uh, and have a sandwich. The little hotel we stayed in was like, what do you call those little hotels? It was a boutique m- hotel or whatever. It's tiny oh, little yeah, room. Yeah. The rooms were like, you know, six feet square. The bed filled up the whole room. And they were kind of stacked on top of each other. So... You slept in one direction. I was on the bump and I yeah. slept in the other direction. <laughs> the bathroom, you know, is like, you know, you close the door and you feel like you're in a coffin. It was so little. Yeah. But, you know, it was a very nice and safe hotel. And, and it was across the street. Remember that little sandwich shop that we ate at, at night? Across uh, the street? You're thinking of, it has Potbelly. Yeah, Potbelly. Yeah. There was actually Named a Potbelly the, stove in, yeah. in the little sandwich shop, you know. So that was kind of fun, mm-hmm. having Potbelly sandwiches at night and, uh, and and hanging out. And didn't we go into the Bible Museum? We did go to the Bible Museum. Yeah, we spent a day yeah. there. Man, I wish I could have spent a week at the Bible Museum. Yeah. You know, um, the Bible Museum is on par with all of the Smithsonian's. I agree with that, yeah. It is just as good, if not better, totally privately funded. Not one dollar of government money went toward funding the Bible Museum because, of course, you know the government's very anti-Christian mm-hmm. and very anti-Bible, and they would not back it. So you know who backed the um, – whose idea it was? Yeah, it was the Green family, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, the people who own Hobby Lobby. Mm-hmm. They spent a vast part of their personal fortune. Some people say it's over a billion dollars yeah. that they – that they use of their own money to buy that building and to retrofit it. And it's a big building. How many stories do you think is in the Bible Museum? Uh, it looked like for how tall it was, yeah. maybe my if my memory serves correctly, yeah. it was like three stories yeah, it's tall. it's huge. It's huge. And in fact, it was so tall that a train used to run through, mm-hmm. remember? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was some kind of plant or some kind of factory and the train would actually stop in the inside the building yeah so that that still remains up in the sky area of the of the height but the first second third and maybe i I wish i'd have looked at it before we started but it's a huge building but every every floor tells the history of the bible and the word of god that may be in the most incredible museum i've ever been to and i could have stayed there for a week just reading all the you know all of the information and seeing the pictures they had a they had a a uh, uh, a copy of the original Gutenberg press it wasn't mm-hmm. the original obviously but it was one it was a model just like the original one that cuz the first book ever printed by Gutenberg was the bible in fact it's called the Gutenberg bible which only a few copies of that exist right now but i learned so much man just spending our day reading the exhibits and all of the stories about the Bible right there in D.C., you know, mm-hmm. which is probably has some of the greatest museums in the world. And this one may be the best in town, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I would it, agree. It's, it's pretty awesome. That was, that, that was a great trip. You know, we had a, we had, we had some really good, good, uh, good times together. As you were becoming a senior, you know, you got to um, 
fly on a plane and visit a visit a foreign city. Yeah, that's what it felt Washington, like. Washington, <laughs> D.C., go to a foreign country. I think once is enough to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's plenty. You got to get the experience. We got to be there for the March for Life. Yeah. And we got to hear the president, and we got to go to the Bible Museum and eat at the Capitol Grill. Some, that was some really good some, some good, good stuff, you know, going on. You told me a story the other day that I want you to tell before we wrap up our, um, our, our uh, podcast today. So you were telling me a story about, about a, uh, a cave, a spelunker, is, mm-hmm. that the right, is that the right term? Uh, yeah, spelunker, cave explorer. Yeah. So you came downstairs, hey, I'll tell you a story because you know I love stories. So I'm like, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> so you sat down and you told me this story and it just, it just wrecked me, man. I was like, oh, Cam, I don't know, man, it just... This is hard. So think you could tell the story? I think I could, yeah. All right, so why don't you give us the Reader's Digest version of this Cave City story? Well, it all starts with somebody named Floyd Collins, who was born in Kentucky. Uh, He made it to like a fourth grade education, and he kind of dropped out of school, uh, which I feel like is kind of typical for a rural community. Yeah, yeah. back when? When was this? uh, This was 19... I got to think. I think it's like... He was born in the 18, late 1800s. So the turn of the 20th century. Yeah, pretty okay, much. Gotcha. Yeah, so, it's very common. Kids didn't finish school hardly back then. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, but it was very close. I think uh, around the time that this was happening, it was like the 1920s. Gotcha. So in like 1920, there was a, there is a, there still is a city in Kentucky called Cave City. Yeah, Cave which, City. Which is well known for its uh, restaurants. Yeah. Just it, kidding. It's, it's real its, close for, to uh, the, the, what, what park? Mammoth. Mammoth uh, Cave. Mammoth Cave is a cave system underground. I see. It's well known for its caves. Gotcha. So that's like a uh, national park. And yeah, and that's yeah. It, that's its tourist right. attraction is like just how many caves are. It's the biggest right. cave system in the world. So Cave City is known for its restaurants. No, I was joking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was leading that up. Yeah, it's known for its caves. It's well known for its caves, gotcha. and they named this. They don't have like a different name for the city. It's all. It's actually called Cave, cave City. city. It's right. not a nickname. So what's the guy's name? Floyd. Uh, Floyd Collins. All right, tell us Floyd's story. So Floyd's story is that, as I said, like your fourth grade education, and it's obviously the popular thing if you want to be a business person and you don't have a great education, yeah. you can't move anywhere else, you make you make do with the caves that are there. You try yeah. to turn them into a tourist attraction. Yeah. And this led to something that you might have heard heard of. Have you ever heard of the Kentucky Cave Wars? I have. Yep. That, so that's pretty much, that is yeah. the time period that this has taken place in. Gotcha. So he was, uh, I don't think it was like a major element in the Kentucky Cave Wars, but those were going on while he was trying to dig up this old cave mm-hmm. called Sand Cave on his neighbor's lot. Uh, what had happened is but he's tried to do this before with a lot of different caves. He's gotten lost and stuck in a lot of caves and he's made his way out. But he he successfully made a cave, a tourist attraction. He got people to come, but it was very few people because you had to drive really out of the way to get to where he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so eventually when he was making money from this cave, a bunch of the other cave uh, explorers who had their own tourist attractions had mm-hmm. come and like had basically roughed them up and had beaten them up. Oh, wow. And so this was on their property. So his brother Homer comes out with a shotgun and scares them all off and thankfully saves his brother. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll notice that the, that's a trend that's going to happen because yeah. so um, saving his brother. Homer Homer was a really good brother and yeah. he and he writes a lot of this in a book called The Life and Death of Floyd Collins. Mm-hmm. I might have spoiled a bit of the story there, but yeah. I honestly think that even though you know the ending, mm-hmm. the way you get there is it's just it's heart-wrenching. Yeah. <laughs> because what had happened was he uh Floyd Collins 
had found a cave called Sand Cave and was on his neighbors a lot. And he had struck a deal that he'll dig it out if the neighbor like help him publish and license it since he's so close to the main road. Mm -hmm. He's hoping that he could get a lot of tourists. Uh, one day while he's digging it out, because he's been digging out this, I think, for like a year. Mm -hmm. And, and there is a very narrow passage that kind of is very windy. Mm -hmm. And he gets to one part where he has to shimmy in backwards. Oh, my gosh. And I don't want to get into details in case you're claustrophobic, but he had gotten stuck. In this cave, underground cave. Yes. Shimmying in backwards. Yeah. And he had his face looking up at the entrance and the way out. He could see just a little bit of light. He had brought a lantern with him on this day. And he felt pretty hopeful that somebody would find him. But there was, the, there was a little thought in the back of his mind that maybe it wouldn't work out because he's a spelunker. He's gotten lost in caves before. And it was not unusual for him to disappear for a couple days at a time. Mm -hmm. So it had been one hour and his lantern goes out. Mm -hmm. And so he's thinking, I'm in complete darkness. I'm in the cold. And nobody knows that I'm here. So he felt absolutely hopeless. Yeah. Um, come out, come, you know come to find out that a couple hours later, Homer, for whatever reason, had been looking for him. Mm. Uh, what a brother. He's, he's, Homer was a very good brother. And he goes to St. Cave know, knowing that he works in there. And he calls out to Homer after getting uh, quite a ways through the cave. And he can, he can finally hear him echo back, yeah, I'm here. So he found Floyd. Yeah, he found Floyd. Yeah. And uh, Floyd had been calling for help. And finally, his brother had heard him. And so this began um, around this time. This is when radio was becoming a big thing. It was a new technology. So this story was one of the quickest, the quickest traveling stories at the time mm -hmm. because it was about human tragedy and, yeah. and about hope and people wanted to save Floyd. Right. And so the spread on newspapers, there was daily updates. Wow. It had steam. It had like snowballed really quickly. Wow. Yeah. And so once he's gotten stuck in this cave, a lot of people uh, had gathered around thinking about how can we get him out of there? And so many people would walk into the cave. They would think, oh, I, you know, I'm a big man. I can, I can go in there. I'm just going to pull him out and then we're going to get out of here. I'm going to yeah. be the hero of the story. They get quite a ways through the cave. They get uh, cut by a couple of crystals on the edge of the cave and they yeah. think, you know, I made it all this way. I'm going to get there and I'm going to save him. Yeah. Then they get to a blank wall with the narrowest opening that can fit the smallest person. And it was called Turnaround Point. Oh, gosh. And it was called Turnaround Point because everyone who got there had turned around. Yeah. That was the point that you said, there, this is not worth risking my life, yeah. even if it's to save somebody else. Right. And this is something, Turnaround Point is something uh, Floyd had gone past every day just to keep digging out the cave. Oh, my gosh. And he was the bravest probably person in his town yeah. that, he, that, that we had known of except Homer. Yeah. So Homer had gone in, and as we know, he got to the point to be able to call out to him, and he knew he was in there. And so he decided, well, if my brother can do it, I can do it too. So he got on his hands and knees, and he's being cut by sharp rocks and going through turnaround point. And he makes it past, and he finally makes it to his brother. Mm. And it's really nice to have a reunion with your brother that's lost at a cave. <sighs> and so <laughs> he brings him food and water every day. He brings him a new light. But people are still worried because how are we going to be able to take him out of here? It was it was kind of like a logistical nightmare. How do you save somebody that's so deep in a cave that's crushed by rocks? It's, he's stuck on the sides of a wall and he can't move at all. So what they decide. Now I'm wrecked already. I know. <laughs> Sorry to do that. <laughs> but it's such a good story. And, um, and eventually this travels through the news. And I think this gets, uh, I want to say it was like Los Angeles. 
there was a journalist named Skeets Miller and uh, Skeets had heard about the story and he thought, you know, since he's a small time journalist, this could be a breakthrough. So he really cared about the case, but he also really just wanted to like get the good story and report it to everybody. So he travels down to Kentucky and once he makes it to the cave, he talks to Homer and obviously Homer uh, fills him on everything he needs to know. And he interviews uh, passersby, everything that they tried to do. And they said, oh, you know, it's hopeless. So we got to that turnaround point and there was no going past it. Skeets makes it. Skeets makes it um, all the way to turnaround point. And he's ready to just finish his report and say, this is just enough information. There's already, I have a lot of competition. But he gets to turnaround point. And he hears Floyd yell, help. (laughs) And he can't turn around. As he's walking out of the cave, he just, he does a double take and he's like, I I have to go back in there. And so he gets just out of the compassion of his heart, gets on his hands and knees and travels through turnaround point and makes it to Floyd. And he begins to ask him questions. And And Miller's reporting at this point is not only you know, example of such passion, you know, just such compassion for a person and somebody's pain. But it was also so important because he was able to talk to Floyd, yeah. you know, besides Homer, his own brother, nobody else could report on the case. And yeah. since he had, since he had this like journalistic skill, he could report what Floyd was saying to everybody. Oh, and you could hear some of the saddest thoughts that Floyd, that anybody's ever thought that he didn't, he didn't think that he would, see the sun again that was his worst fear that he wouldn't make it out and um and he said that he could just imagine seeing heaven (laughs) even if he didn't make it out he could just imagine seeing heaven (sighs) gosh all right (laughs) and it's it's really just such a sad story but eventually uh, you have a lot of other characters get into the story, and it's not just Miller. It's not just um, the reporter Miller, and it's not his brother Homer. There's a lot of people that have tried to go in, and they failed. But the few people that ever made it past, there was like a doctor and I think a, uh, an engineer had gone to Turnaround Point, and they were turning around until they heard Floyd's voice. And it didn't matter what it took. They they would go through the danger. They would they would go past what every person wouldn't do, just yeah. because they heard him cry for help. Mm-hmm. And so they would crawl in, and they would. Uh, the first strategy was to just dig out the rocks by hand and to pull him out. They tried to do a pulley system. They came up with so many different solutions, but they kept trying just because every time they got to that point, they heard his voice. Yeah. And I just think it was such. It's just such a good story about a Christ-like love that even yeah. though Christ wasn't mentioned in the whole story, yeah. there was just so much uh, yeah. love for somebody that was just in pain and asked for help. Somebody who's lost who needs to be saved. Exactly. Yeah. And, and um, you know, to end that story, um, I guess I would say that it was a tragedy. I, I had kind of spoiled the story to say that he had died. Yeah. So how and long was he in the cave? He was in the cave for 13 days. So he died after 13 days mm-hmm. in the cave? Yeah, and his body's still there. His well, what had happened was uh, what was really tragic is they had mounted a rescue mission. It was kind of it was very late, you know. It's been it been almost two weeks at this point. Yeah, and the somehow this like Miller's reporting or some reporting had made it to the president, yeah. and they they uh, sent in people, uh, the attorney general or wow. something along those lines, to mount a rescue operation. 
and they had started digging straight down instead of trying to dig through the cave. Right. Well, they have decided to direction. Yeah. The, so they would dig straight down and then dig across right. to get to him. But they had, the time they had done that, it had been three days too late. Oh, they could have made it. They started a little bit earlier. If they had started earlier, it was. What was really funny is that uh, another interesting thing uh, is that people came up with very interesting solutions yeah. after it was too late, wow. which is something I think you'll notice about situations like this. Like yeah. at first, the pulley system uh, wasn't going to work because of how yeah. how he was wedged between the rocks, right. and other solutions that they came up with weren't practical and they weren't going to save him. Right. But somebody said, hey, why don't we give him a radio so that we can talk to him? Yeah. This is by the time they figured out he had already passed. Yeah. Why didn't we... Uh, at yeah. least make a tarp for him so he wasn't exposed to the elements. Yeah. Why didn't we send someone down there to be with him There's all the time? So, so much other stuff they thought of. And it yeah. was and it was too late. And it's really a tragic story. Yeah. It was interesting to see how people came up with solutions after the fact. Right. Um and once they had dunked down and gotten his body, they uh they eventually buried him at Mammoth I want to say Mammoth Cave uh Baptist Church. Wow. Somewhere in Kentucky. Real close by. Yeah. Right. And that, that would be the life and death of Floyd Collins, but what a story, man. <laughs> it is such a tragedy. Um, and again, I, you know, it, of course, you, you know, it's a story about hope and yeah. you want him to live. And even though you know that he's died, I think it's, yeah. I think, I still think it's such a great story because, right. Um, you said you, you kind of compared it to like somebody being lost. Yeah. It's, that's what it reminded me of how, how compassionate that we can be for people who don't know Jesus. They're stuck in this darkness and cave. Mm -hmm. And I think when you kept saying they were all going to turn around until they heard his voice, help me. You know, I think that's what's, I think that's what drives believers is that when they find people who are stuck, sometimes it's too, it's too hard. It's too messy. It's too much work until, until we hear them, hear their voice. Yeah. You know, and I think that's that's evangelism. And that's, like you said, that's the story of Christ. He heard our voice. He came to us. And thank God his rescue operation was a major success. You know, he got us out of our cave. But it, it's a great picture of the love of Jesus for the lost. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely so is. what's the end of that story? Is his... Um, is that cave open that he got stuck in or did they close it down or do you know? I saw someone describe Floyd Collins' life as a Greek tragedy yeah. because his entire goal was to make ca uh, Sand Cave yeah. uh, a tourist attraction that would be right. very profitable. And okay. it, obviously his, his 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 life and death was so uh, was talked about so much yeah. that people hoped that he would get out. That that Sand Cave to this day is, is memorialized because of yeah. Floyd Collins. Do people still visit it? People still do visit it, yeah. Wow. People, uh, of course, people visit all the caves in, uh, in the yeah. Mammoth Cave system, yeah. but I think Sand Cave, if you if you hear about any cave from yeah. Kentucky, it'll be yeah. Sand Cave. Wow. I'm not a cave person. I just don't like being underground, especially yeah. in tight spots. Of course. I don't yeah. like being above ground in tight spots. <laughs> and I don't like heights. I like level, flat ground that I could take a nap on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Cam, what a great story, man. It is. What yeah. a great story. Um, any final thoughts you want to share with us? Anything going on? Um, you want us to know about some of your games or some of your projects? Let me think. I think like in addition to when that, when I first heard that whole life and death of Floyd Collins, yeah. I, uh, 
I think the first way I thought about it was, of course, there's the lost person analogy. Jesus yeah. looks for us. But I also thought about what if, what if deep in our heart, something God has planted something for us to do and it's very painful to get there because being creative and constructing something new kind of takes a lot out of us um and it can kind of feel like you're you're scratching away at the earth in order to find that valuable thing that's right in our heart and so i always when i first heard the story the immediate analogy i thought of is that that we have something deep in our hearts that's stuck and we all get to turn around point and it's easy to go back into the world it's a great analogy. But when you just hear the voice of the Lord, you just you have to go in there. Yeah. And there's nothing that can make you turn around. Right. Most <sighs> people turn around, but you when you hear the voice, you just can't turn you just, around. You just have to go you in. You gotta go there. You gotta go there. Came you also are a musician. You, I am. Yeah, you love music. In yeah. fact, you play you play the grand on Sunday morning for worship. I do. I, I love I love hearing you play the piano and leading in worship, you know, so cuz of course your mom and your brothers and sisters are all on the team and you know, it's just great to have all of all the talent. I'm the only one in our entire family that doesn't play <laughs> an instrument, but it's it's just a joy to watch all of you. You know, you and Kate and Christian and Rachel, and of course Gabby and Ryan played also. What a beautiful thing to be able to play music with your with your family and all mm-hmm. the other people from Journey y'all get to play with. You know, so um, you love piano. I do. Yeah. 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 So that's interesting. You know, when mom, you know, mom homeschooled all of y'all at at some point in your lives. All of you graduated from brick and mortar schools, but you were homeschooled uh, by your mom and I, mm-hmm. and she taught all of you music, at least the basics of music. You yeah. Know? And mom tried to teach you piano, and you were so uninterested. <laughs> you know, mom got frustrated and said, "I don't think he wants to learn." But mom made you learn the the, the chords and the finger placements and the other stuff. But you're like, yeah. "Mom, can this?" And she said, "Okay, just, <laughs> just, just pass the rudimentary, and we'll move on." Uh, but then one morning, I, I woke up and I heard you playing the piano in the living room, and I, I thought it was a television. And I asked, I asked your mom, I said, did, did we leave the TV on last night? Because somebody's playing the piano. And she said, no, I think that's Cam. And we walk in, and you were just playing. You went from hating it to loving it overnight. And you just, you know, I think I think the gift came alive and, you know, the you know the passion that came, comes from Jesus. And you've been playing yeah. ever since. Yep. Yeah, so what a joy. Yep, she really wanted me to play one Sunday. I think it's about uh, 2017. Yeah. I, I was very against it. Yeah. And then eventually I just go on stage <laughs> and do it anyway. Okay. Well, mom wants me to do it, fine. And I'll then now it. I'm directing it every Sunday. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, and doing such a great job. Thank you. I've enjoyed our conversation, Cam. I appreciate you telling your story, telling us about about Doghouse and about programming and about D.C. and, you know, and also about uh, about cave city you know it's just so good and about worship speaking of worship uh we're here every sunday uh at journey fellowship church uh if you live on the north shore or new orleans and are looking for a church come visit us uh go to jf.church uh, you can find driving directions uh, find out more about us you can even watch the online campus come visit the online campus before you come in person if you want to just check us out online uh you can download the journey app go to your app store and you can type in Journey Fellowship Church in the search bar, and you can download our app. It's loaded with information and messages and small groups and driving directions here. Uh, watch some past sermons. You know, we preach in series, uh, so you can watch some of the past message series. They're about four or five weeks long each one. Uh, but you can find a lot of ways to get connected on the app or on jf.church. But the best way is come visit us live and in person. Uh, we're in Slidell, Louisiana, on the south side of town, not far from Lake Pontchartrain. 
Uh, you can come visit us. We have two Sunday morning experiences, 8.30 and 10 o'clock. Uh, we'd love to have an opportunity to meet you face-to-face. And um, thank you for watching today. It's been a fun time to have a conversation with my son, Cam. And we look forward to getting to meet you in person. So for Journey Fellowship Church, I'm Doug McAllister. And this has been Stories I Didn't Tell Last Sunday.